Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. Hey, y'all. Today we have Cody Ann McGovern here. I'm so excited. Hey, Cody Ann. Hi, I'm so excited too. So Cody Ann is a physician assistant and because that's what I am, that's who I have um, communication with on all these Facebook groups. And I was impressed when I found out Cody Ann used to be a social worker. And so I heard her story and I invited her to share with y'all. So Cody Ann, tell us yes. about how you went from being a social worker in a prison to, <laughs> to a physician assistant working in psychiatry. Sure. Well, um, right out of high school, I went straight through undergraduate and graduate school, just boom, 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 boom. And I ended up with a master's of social work. And my very first job was my only social work job which was in a prison, a large men's facility, had about 3,500 inmates. Wow. And I have to pause yeah. you here. Were yeah. you, when you were job searching, were you like, if I could just get in the prison system, that would be amazing. Or was it like, oh, I guess I'll work in a prison if that's who's hiring. No, I actually worked in graduate school. I worked a year in a state psychiatric hospital. So that's where people go that are found not criminally responsible. So like mm. people that say like plead insanity, yeah, which they're very, very mentally ill. It's not like something easily come by. Gotcha. And so I spent a year there, which is like a prison. It has, you know, um, a Sally port, the double doors. And it's, everything's locked and your keys are very secure. And wow. Were you it basically scared? was a prison. The first day I was very scared. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, no, this is fine. Like it you was were like totally 25, fine. right? No, I was younger than that. I wasn't even 25. I was like, um, yeah, 22. Wow. Yeah. So I was a little baby. Yeah. And so you and worked then, in the prison and were you loving it? I actually was loving it. I loved the population because they are so very needy. And a lot of people are um, there for drug related charges, yeah. but really it's psych related charges uh -huh. um, and trauma in their life. And, you know, like, I'll just say one really terrible example, but I had a guy with HIV on my caseload and he got it from his father. Oh, Yeah. And that so, yes, he used drugs, but if your father did that to you, you might use drugs too. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So anyways, I did love it. But then I had this realization when I had my daughter that I couldn't, I wasn't financially independent. I was married and my husband at the time made a lot of money. 
And so we were very comfortable, but it wasn't anything I was doing. Yeah. Cause prisoner, it, pr- prisoners don't make much of <laughs> prison, <laughs> prison social workers. They don't make like, beans. Okay. No, no. So, so I you, like, couldn't, yeah, I couldn't afford anything by myself. So I just had this realization that the psych nurse practitioner on our unit made three times as much as me and we had very similar jobs and Ah. she was bright but like in my head I thought well she's not smarter than me yeah you know I could do what she does and y'all this is key so pay attention to who you're a little bit envious of because that's a clue about the next step that you may want to look into so Cody and you started looking into that Yeah, I started looking into um, nurse practitioner programs, and then that naturally led me into physician assistant programs, which for me was a quicker option instead of getting a bachelor's of nursing. Oh, yeah. And then going back and getting a master's. So it was just a more direct route. And um, And you got in right away, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's my first round. You had so much experience working with patients. Yes. Yeah. So I had like 10,000 patient hours, which is a big deal. Wow. But you had a yeah. kid, a kid, one kid at the time? Two. What? Yeah. So, so when how, I went back yeah. to school, I had two, two babies. They were three and one. And I just thought to myself, like, this is what women do. We show our daughters we're smart. We show our daughters we get degrees. Oh, I love that. And I just went for it. Did you have moments where you were like, I can't do this. Like, this is crazy. I have two little ones. Yes. All the time. Because I think mom guilt is a real, um, I don't want to say burden, but it, it mom guilt is just so real. Yes. And we all, like all mothers feel like we should put our kids first, but I put my education first for mm-hmm. about 18 months and in that 18 months, I just kept telling myself, I'm modeling the behavior I want my daughter to see. Oh, do y'all hear that? I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's was my mantra for that 18 months. I look at mom guilt, like a heavy backpack filled with bricks and we wear it around, (laughs) but it's a choice. You can take that backpack off at any point. And like you say, this is the model I would like to demonstrate for my daughter's. Yes. And it's also, it's filled with bricks, but I um, hope it's filled with goldfish crackers too. Because moms <laughs> yes. always have goldfish crackers. That's true. <laughs> so how did you manage to, did you go to PA school in the same town? No, I actually went to PA school about 90 minutes away. And during the week, Monday through Friday, I stayed in a house there with other moms who were in the same exact spot. Wow. Good for y'all. Y'all were like mom queens. Yeah. So we, we mommed it up and it was very much, we didn't, I mean, not that partying was on our radar at all, but we did not party. We just went home, we studied. Uh And then every Friday night we went home to our families and came back Sunday. You were focused and driven and had that tunnel vision, like 18 months, got to do this. Tunnel vision was the key because when there is an end in sight, it's like you can get through anything when there's an end in sight. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And so you had a supportive um, partner at the time. and Yep. And our families were both very supportive, you know, his and my family. And 
we didn't really know how it was going to work out financially and with time and with babies, but it just did because it had to. Yeah. You got to have that support network around you. And then the other moms were part of your support group too. I'm yep. guessing. Yep. Well, to back up just a minute, when you were thinking I could go to NP school or PA school, how long did that take you to go from like, I think I could do this to actually pulling the trigger on it and applying for school? So I thought about it in the summer, like July. And by September, I was enrolled in classes. Wow. You don't mess around. No, but those were prerequisites. So they were at community college. Okay. And they were in evening and I kept my day job and my science credits were all too old. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They have to be within the last 10 years. And by that time it was more than 10 years. So they were too old. So, um, I had to take over basic biology, chemistry, chem 101, organic chemistry. All I had to take oh, every science no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you think about like when you were sitting in organic chemistry for the second time, did you think <laughs> like, do I really want to do this? Oh yeah. All the time. And, and also I kept thinking my husband makes enough money that I could just stay at home. Yeah. I don't even, you know, I didn't even have to work, but I really just kept thinking, I'm modeling the behavior I want my daughter to see. That's like that was a, my, yeah, your mantra. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. And then when you finally got accepted to PA school or for me, it was when I was at the interview and kind of looking around at the PA students that I was like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. Did you get yes. that feeling like? I did. I applied to four different schools that were all about between 90 minutes and two hours away. But one just really stood out as like, that was my school. Yeah. And when I went to the interview, I just felt like I'm bound to be here. And sure enough, the, so I interviewed on Friday and then Monday morning, I got an acceptance offer. Wow. And I think you were probably sending out like those little ripples of good vibrations. Like you... I don't know. You weren't like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get in. I'm probably going to get turned down. Like, I know I, I just really felt like if I didn't get in this year, I would still go to the school the next year. Yeah. Y'all keep that in mind. Like if you come up against a roadblock, just know that you have to wait there for a little while and then you get to keep going. If as long as you get your mindset, right. It is definitely when you change your whole adult life, when you go from one career to another or from staying at home to into a career or vice versa, it's the long game you have to look at. Yes. It's not a two week process. It's, you have to think, what do I want to do in two years? What do I want to do in four years? What am I doing in five years? Yeah. And it, to me, PA school from social work was the long game. Yeah. Did you visualize yourself as a PA? Yes. Yes. And I, and I have this like, um, vision of like that I would have a prescription pad. And when I got one, it was so, it was just not magical, but I was like, I worked so hard for this. Yeah. I love that. You have to have a vision of your, of your future self. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For me, it was wearing a white coat and having a stethoscope. And now, Uh I I mean, I don't even carry a stethoscope in dermatology, but yeah, I still wear the white coat. (laughs) I don't wear the white coat. I feel like it's, um, you know, when people are in psych, they're anxious enough. That's true. (laughs) 
All right. So did you have to take out student loans? I did. You know, we could not, I went to a private university. We couldn't afford um, life and tuition. Yeah. So I took out student loans and to me, it's worth every penny. It was, there's no question. Number one, I'm making about three times what I made as a social worker. Yep. But also I'm happy. I feel like I have my dream job. So yeah, it, it was worth it to me. Yeah. So yeah, just count on. There's going to be expenses. You just have to, I guess, invest in yourself, right? Yes. And make the decision that you're worth it. Even if it's um, living very modestly for a while or getting loans, if your will is there and you know that you need to change, the money will work itself out. Yeah. And I even look at now, even though I'm done with school, I look at, I think you and I talked about this one time, continuing education, like with courses that I sign up for, yeah. or if you hire, you know, a writing coach or some kind of coach, like that's to me, it's continuing education. You're continuing to learn and invest in yourself. Yes. And I um, pay for a few subscriptions for things that will help me professionally, personally, and to me, it's, it's all worth it. Yeah. I even signed up one time for a year's worth of psychology today, because I love, Uh (laughs) I love psychology and self-help. And I thought about being a psych PA. And so I was like, you know what, this is an investment. I'm learning more. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. And also you can find me on psychology today. I'm there too. Nice. (laughs) All right. So you were in PA school living with the mothers and Mm -hmm. it took you, I guess it takes two years, right? So it actually took me three years. Our program was two and a half years. And then I took a leave of absence because I was ill. So it ended up being 32 months, I think. So almost three full years. Yeah. Stuck with it. Yep. I was too deep in. I couldn't go back. <laughs> so did you get a job in a prison when you got out? No, I, I actually looked at jobs in the prison, but um, it wasn't the right fit at the right time. Yeah. So I started working at an urgent care, which a corporate urgent care, which I actually loved. And I still would do that if I didn't get this psych offer. Um, so yeah, I didn't I, know that you, I thought you wanted to do psych from the very beginning. I did, but I felt like in my head, I needed to do real somatic medicine. Yeah, me too. And I, so I was like, I didn't need to know about blood pressure and wounds and, you know, all this. And so I did urgent care for a few years and it was great. And I loved the hours and the flexibility and the family, the work-life balance was amazing. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then how did you transition into psych? I just, um, I was moving in with my boyfriend at the time and I was going to need a new job. So I interviewed only for psych at that point and um, just found the literal dream job. Was it hard to relate to patients when you first transitioned into psychiatry? Like, did you have a hard time, I don't know, treating their anxiety, depression, OCD? Not so much because I had so much psych experience with my undergrads in psych and then my master's in social work. So I felt like I really had a 
like the interviewing and the chit chatting and the, that is no problem for me. Yeah. And the empathy. Right. No problem. Yeah. And then you work, you were working in person, right? And then you had to pivot with COVID and. Yes. And so now I work from my home office in a corner of my house, a hundred percent of the time, every once in a while I go into the office, but, um, not really that much. And I see everybody online. Wow. How's that been? Actually great because psych lends itself to online medicine really well. You know, we don't need to hear your heartbeat or look in your ears or touch a rash, you know, so it works really well. That is cool. So you work four days a week or five? Five, um, eight hour days. I used to work four tens. And then when school started, it was just a better schedule to work five. Okay. Eight hour days. Yeah. And then, um, yep. We have a nanny that helps us who's amazing. That's right. You've got the envy of all nannies. (laughs) Yes. We have a saint and, um, my kids are home. We, they do a virtual school and, um, I work only with adults, only outpatient, and we don't have call. So, um, and the owners of the practice that I work for are very much in line with what I want for a business. So really good. And this has been your, your job for how many years? Um, just about 18 months. So pretty new. Okay. Did you have another psych job before this one? Nope. So I went from urgent care, a few years in urgent care and then right into psych at this position. You really lucked up. I mean, I I think maybe not luck is the right word. You found good jobs. You searched them out. Yeah. And I feel like some people complain about their jobs, but in my head, I think you've never had a shitty job. That's true. That is true. (laughs) I've had some real, like my parents owned a bakery, which was a cool thing, but every day you had to be there at 6 a.m. Yeah. So it didn't matter. I was 18. I wanted to party. I wanted to do all this other stuff. Every morning at 6 a.m. I had to be at the bakery. That's true. You're comparing stuff to your new job to working long hours. And And like working at the prison was, was cool. And I, I really did not mind it, but every morning you got patted down, you had to go through a metal detector, (laughs) couldn't bring a granola bar in. I mean, crazy. Yeah. So when people complain, complain, complain about their job, I really just think you've never had a shitty job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Are you also the type of person who looks for lemonade, who tries to make lemonade when you, yes, if you look for the hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it gives you, it gets you nowhere Uh to look at the sour part of the lemonade. Yeah. I think life delivers your expectations on a platter. Yeah. Like you expect something to be crappy. Here you go. It will. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my kids wake up and they're, you know, it's Saturday and they have to do chores. They have to clean their room before they can watch any kind of movies. And sometimes they're like, today's going to be an awful day. And I'm like, yes, it will be. <laughs> it's what you expect. That's what you're going to get. Yes. And the converse is so true. Like when you think I have achieved what I set out for, 
you can really appreciate that sweetness. Yeah. And your kids are old enough now they can kind of, I guess, do they remember you being in school? And I think they have a vague memory. They remember visiting my school apartment, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, not really. No, I don't think they have like a clear memory of like, remember when mom left us? And yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because kids really, if y'all are thinking about going back to school or something, kids are so um, resilient. I mean, they, and they don't have a big memory before really second or third grade. And not at all, not in one sense to compare it to um, armed forces, parents who are away and deployed. But it doesn't negate their parenthood to be deployed uh-huh, in the sense right. that it doesn't negate my parenthood to spend 18 months away from my kids. That's right. It made you a better parent, if anything, yeah. because you were filling up your own bucket. Yes. And I now am able to afford the best nanny in the whole world. <laughs> I'm able to afford to stay home. I work from home my kids will stand in my office door and they'll say, do you have a patient? And if I say no, they just come right on in and sit on my chairs and yeah, it's great. And Cody Ann, I think you're from following you on Facebook and Instagram. I think you're also good at your, you seem very efficient and you seem good at outsourcing. Like I'm always like, okay, look at what she's up to. (laughs) Like you were telling me what all you have your nanny do. And yes, it's, I mean, we I just feel like, um, I only have energy for so much Mm -hmm. and the rest, I either have to say it's not getting done or hire people to help me do it. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're a single mom, you've got to have your village around you and delegate, delegate, delegate. And it was a lot easier before COVID, but I'm hoping I can't wait to get vaccinated and have all my people vaccinated and get back to my full village. I know that's true. Yeah. And you are also, I'm impressed by all the other things you're into. So you seem to be constantly trying new things and like I see you cooking, baking up a storm. Girl. You're <laughs> yeah. a prolific baker. What else? And you cook too, right? Yep. I cook and bake a lot, which is kind of my outlet. But, um, in my professional life, I have some other kind of projects and places where I put energy. I have a blog and I would love to write a book one day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, this is one thing about me. I hate to stagnate. Uh I do too. I hate it. So bored. Yes. And I'm like, why eat the same five meals every week? Like we have this family friend who literally every Tuesday night they have spaghetti. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like spaghetti as much as the next guy, but I'm like, why not have Alfredo? Why not have vodka sauce? Why not do this? Like, yeah. Why? Like I just can't tolerate the same or sameness. And that's what fills your bucket up. We're not saying that somebody who enjoys repetition and, um, you know, being able to count on the same thing, that may be what fills your bucket up. But for a lot of us, you just need to know what, what's, what gets you, what, what fills your bucket up for lack of a better term. Sure. Yeah. Creativity and mixing. Yeah. And I just feel like, um, 
for me and for our family, it's like um, inventing and exploring are never regrettable. Yes. So what what does that mean for your family? Just trying new, like, let's all do a yoga video on YouTube or, you know, I mean, anything really. We play new games. We um, try new systems. Our kids just got these little debit cards with they earn for chores so they can, um, yeah, buy things online. I mean, up within reason, you know, but, um, yeah, we're just ready to try new things. Yeah. And put yourself out there. Like Mm -hmm. you said, so I want to go back to, you said, I think I may want to write a book one day, or I want to write a book. Is that one of those things that you envision yourself? Like I will, I am an author. Like, do you? Yes. I totally, and I have this vision, just like when I was at the PA school interview, like I, I thought to myself, if I don't get in this year, I'll get in next year. And I have this vision where like a morning show interviews me about my book. Yes. And like, I, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen because I've only written about half the book, but (laughs) that's still huge. And I love that you have that vision. Yeah. Yeah. They have. I've also heard like, imagine your picture on the back cover of a book, you know, just. Yes. Yes. You I'm hear a this believer in that. Yeah. You hear it about college athletes or professional athletes and they will envision themselves doing whatever, you know, if it's pole vaulting or, you know, running the mile in however many minutes or seconds and they visualize it over and over until it just becomes sort of a new neural pathway. I guess that's, that's your area, but (laughs) yeah, no, you know, and even in high school, I played tennis and I would always, and I still do this envision my serve doing great. Uh And I just, even if I just go out and play for fun, I just envision my serve going right in and just slam. Have you taught that to your kids? I don't know how to. I haven't, but I should. (laughs) Yeah. I know my daughter with gymnastics, she's in the very early stages of gymnastics. She's not like on a team or anything, but she told me she made up her mind. She was going to do a handstand and her tenacity. She practiced that thing probably 200 times a day Uh until her leg that she (laughs) used to step forward that leg muscle was like way sore compared to the other one and she by goodness she's done it she's yeah to do a handstand so yeah repetition gets you there yeah yeah I mean sure the vision is one thing but you got to put in the hustle that's right you have to put in yeah. the work. So with your writing do you have a routine where you like get up every day and write or do you do it a certain chunk of time every week? No, I actually wait until like, I feel moved by topics okay. and then I write, 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 Yeah. And so it's kind of like feast or famine, which maybe is not the best model, but it is the model I follow. No, that's good. It's gotten you half a book so far. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you look forward down your path, what do you see in the near future? In the near future, just continuing psychiatry, of course, and then working on my book. And um, I'm actively working on 
becoming more of a social media maven. Yeah. Tell Um, me about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it's current and it's how authors communicate. And I want to, it's not like in a vain sense, I want to have 10,000 followers or a blue check next to my name. I just really want people to have access to the things I'm writing and thinking about and recording. Yeah. And I think if you're passionate about your subject, then it's doing the world a disservice if you don't share your yes. message. So, and I know totally agree with that. you write about things that are near and dear to your heart. Yes. And psychiatry is a huge topic of mine. Um, empathy is a huge topic of mine and evidence-based medicine, which yes. is, yeah. I mean, I can't talk enough about evidence-based medicine, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you have to get your message out there. And in order to do that, unfortunately, we have to have, well, you may say fortunately, but for me, it's (laughs) fortunately, you have to have a social media presence. (laughs) Yes. So I'm working on Instagram and Facebook and I've done, I've done a lot of Facebook lives and some are more successful than others. Um, But I just keep on trucking. How did you get over the fear? Did you have fear before you did the first Facebook live? Not really. Cause I just thought, well, if only my friends see it, they're my friends. Yeah. You know, they're not going to dislike it or give me a thumbs down. <laughs> and, and then I got a lot of positive feedback. Every live I've done, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback and occasionally I get negative, you know, people saying like just hateful things. Cause it's the internet and they're trolls. Yeah. But no, I don't have too much fear. I just really want to get my message out. I feel compelled. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you do get a negative comment, somebody's being ugly, how do you, do you respond to them or do you just like give yourself a pep talk? And I just keep it moving. I don't even, I don't give them the time of day. I don't give them a penny of thought, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's not, I don't have energy for that. I've heard with JK Rowling on Amazon, if you look at her bad reviews, like she's got, you know, a ton of bad reviews because she's got, you know, a million awesome reviews, but even, you know, even she gets haters. Oh yeah. And like people, like when you write about medicine and I, I did some lives over the summer about COVID, you know, people think they're experts. Mm -hmm. And so they just have hateful things to say, but I just keep it rolling. That's right. All right. So you've, you're building your social media presence and then anything in the distant future you're working towards any mountain on the horizon. I, I have this dream of becoming, um, a PhD in public health, but yeah, that won't be until my kids are in college. So that'll be at least another, 10 years. So, yeah, but it's good to have that, you know, flip ahead to the closer to the end of the book or halfway through the book. And you see that there. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. And like, to me, there's just no end, you know, um, it, there's nothing that's impossible. Yes. I agree. I was reading something last night that said, um, you know, so many people use the excuse, I'm too old. I'm too old to go back to school. I'm too old. Oh, yeah. And so this author said, 
he asked a guy, all right, well, how many years do you see yourself working, like being a good worker until you're what age? And the guy was like, um, into my seventies. And so he's like, well, how old are you? And he said, 40. Well, how old were you when you started working? Like 20. And he's like, so see, you already have like 30 30 years left. Right. Yeah. And so often we don't think about it like that. And, um, my husband went back. Go ahead. Oh, someone told me like, but you're going to be so old when you graduate pay school. I'm like 33. (laughs) (laughs) You're so old. No. And that's what kept my husband from going back. Well, he's, he works for a university so he can get his PhD slowly, um, you know, without paying extra money. And so he was talking to our marriage therapist and he said, um, but I'm going to be, let's see, he would have been. He's like, I'll be 47 by the time I finish. And she said, Chase, you're going to be 47, whether you get your PhD right. or not. Like that's inevitable. <laughs> it's the alternative. That's right. <laughs> so I'm excited to see the book that eventually is going to come out. I'm excited. Thank you. To, we'll have you back on the podcast after you're on some of the morning shows. And okay, perfect. You're a big deal. You can come back to this little old podcast. <laughs> no way. It'll be a big old podcast by then. <laughs> It'll be a big old deal. And last question, is there anything you would tell to your younger self, like any advice that when you were back working in the prison, anything you would have wished somebody had told you? Your encouragement. You are smart enough and act now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Y'all hear that? You're smart enough, act now. Yep. That that's what I would tell myself and I would tell anybody whether you're 22 or 72, if you're not happy where you are, you're smart enough to change it and act now. Yes. And even if you don't know the how, as long as you know the what, the how will happen. You don't have to have it all figured out. Um, You just have to know the what. Yes. Yes. Hope, I also want to say that I love this podcast and I love that you um, are encouraging people to, you know, live their best life. Yes. Yeah. I see so many people going through life in just as zombies, like in sleep. Yeah. Mode. And um, I just want to shake them, like literally grab <laughs> them by the shoulders and shake them and say, you, you're only here for, it's really just a few years. I mean, right. Wake up and do what you're passionate about Meant to do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad yep. you're doing it. I see, I see a spark in you and I think it's going to touch those around you. Same. Hope. (laughs) Thank you for coming on today's podcast. Thank you so much. Hope be well. Oh, wait, before we go, how can, how can people find you? Oh, I'm, I'm on Instagram at psych PAC. And then I'm on Facebook at Cody and McGovern. And then do you, where do you do your writing? Do you mind sharing your blog with us? Sure. It's healthyish.blog. Healthyish.blog. Yep. Not all the way healthy, just healthy ish. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Cody Ann. Hey, y'all, here's the show notes from Cody Ann's talk. All right. First of all, if you're not living your best life, ask what kind of life you'd like to model for your son, daughter, or younger generation. Number two, sometimes you have to have tunnel vision when things are hard, especially when you know there's an end in sight and you know you're on the right path. Number three, you don't have to know how everything is going to work out. Just take that first step. 
Number four, mindset is the key to accomplishing your goals. Think about it as the long game. So don't give up if you encounter roadblocks. The next number, because I forgot. Have a vision of your future self and keep reminding yourself of the you you'd like to be. Next, invest in yourself. Sometimes you have to invest money and time to make your future vision come true. You are worth it. You may have to take out loans or live modestly for a while. If you have the will, the money will work itself out. Next, have gratitude for your current circumstances. Keep in mind, you could always have a crappier job, boss, life, whatever. Looking at the sour part of life won't serve you because life delivers what you expect. Next, let go of the guilt you feel with regards to mothering. The kids are going to be fine. In fact, they'll be better than fine if their mama is filling up her own bucket and taking care of her own needs. Next, you can only do so much, so outsource the things you don't like doing or that you need help with. Next, if you don't grow, you can become stagnant. So try to always find new things that interest you or that you want to learn about. Next, you're never too old to do new things. This is a self-imposed limit. You're also never too young. You're, next, you're smart enough. Let me say that again. You are smart enough. Act now. And the last thing, it's kind of a re- repetitive thing throughout this podcast, but you don't have to know the how, you just need to know the what. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast, Recharting Your Life with Hope. Everything I discuss in this show reflects my own views and opinions and not those of my employer. Although I'm a physician assistant in my real life, any advice or tips you hear on this show should not be used as medical advice. If you like what you hear, come on over to HopeThePA.com or follow me on Instagram at HopeThePA.com.